Section 29 of The Art of Music, Volume 2, Classicism and Romanticism. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jennifer Painter. The Art of Music, Volume 2, Classicism and Romanticism, by the National Society of Music. Wagner and Wagnerism, Part 2 The drama of Tristan and Isolde, Wagner drew from the Celtic legend with which he made acquaintance as he pursued his studies in the Nibelungen myths. As has been noted before, Wagner attributed the mood that inspired the conception of Tristan and Isolde to his studies of Schopenhauer, and commentators have made much of this influence in attempting to read into portions of Tristan and the other dramas, a more or less complete presentation of Schopenhauer's philosophy. But Wagner's own writings have proved him to belong to that rather vague class of artist philosophers, whose philosophy is more largely a matter of moods than of a dispassionate seeing of truths. The key to the situation is found in Wagner's own remark. I felt the longing to express myself in poetry, this must have been partly due to the serious mood created by Schopenhauer, which was trying to find an ecstatic expression. Wagner's studies had developed in him a new sense of the drama, in which the unrealities of his early romanticism entirely disappeared. A classic simplicity of action, laying bare the intensity of the emotional sweep, and a pervading sense of fatalistic tragedy, this was the new aspiration of Wagner's art. The score of Tristan and Isolde is one of the highest peaks of musical achievement. It is a modern classic which in spirit and form is the prototype of almost all that has followed in modern dramatic music. Wagner has in this music drama developed his leitmotif system more fully than heretofore and the entire score is one closely woven fabric of these eloquent phrases, combined with such art that Boulot, who was the first to see the score, pronounced it a marvel of logic and lucidity. In his employment of chromatic harmony, Wagner here surpassed all his previous mastery. A wealth of chromatic passing notes, suspensions and appoggiaturas gives to the harmony a richness of sensuous colour all its own, while the orchestral scoring attains to that freedom of polyphonic beauty to which alone, according to Richard Strauss, modern colour owes its existence. Wagner, on the completion of Tristan and Isolde, began to long for its performance, a longing which he was compelled to bear for eight years. During these, he experienced the repetition of his past sorrows and disappointments. Again, he resumed his wanderings, and for the next five years, we find him in many places. In September 1859, he settled in Paris, where he spent two entire seasons. After a series of concerts in which he gave fragments of his various works, Wagner, through the mediation of Princess Metternich, obtained the promise of a hearing of Tannhäuser at the opera. The first performance was given on March the 13th, after an interminable array of difficulties had been overcome. Wagner was forced to submit to many indignities and to provide his opera with a ballet in compliance with the regulations of the opera. 
At the second performance, given on the 18th of March, occurred the memorable and shameful interruption of the performance by the members of the Jockey Club who, prompted by a foolish and vindictive chauvinism, hooted and whistled down the singers and orchestra. The ensuing disturbance fell little short of a riot. It was during this last residence of Wagner in Paris that he was surrounded by the circle through which his doctrines and ideas were to be infused into the spirit of French art. This circle, constituting the brilliant Salon meeting weekly at Wagner's house in the Rue Newton, included Baudelaire, Chamfleury, Tolstoy, Olivier and Saint-Saëns among its regular attendants. In 1861, Wagner, through the influence of his royal patrons in Paris, was able to return unmolested to Germany. While the success of the earlier works was now assured, and they had taken a permanent place in the repertoire of nearly every opera house, the way to a fulfilment of his present aim, the production of Tristan, seemed as remote as ever. Vain hopes were held out by Karlsruhe and Vienna, but naught came of them, and Wagner was again obliged to obtain such meagre and fragmentary hearings for his works as he could obtain through the medium of the concert stage. In 1863 he made concert tours to Russia and Hungary, besides conducting programmes of his works in Vienna and in several German cities. These performances, while they spread Wagner's fame, did little to assist him toward a more hopeful prospect of material welfare, and thus, in 1864, Wagner, at the age of 51, found himself again fleeing from debts and forced to seek an asylum in the home of a friend, Dr. Wille, at Mariafeld. But this season of hardship proved to be only the deepest darkness before the dawning of what was indeed a new day in Wagner's life. While spending a few days at Stuttgart in April of that year, he received a message from the King of Bavaria, Ludwig II, announcing the intention of the youthful monarch to become the protector of Wagner and summoning him to Munich. Wagner, in the closing words of his autobiography, says, Thus the dangerous road along which fate beckoned me to such great ends was not destined to be clear of troubles and anxieties of a kind unknown to me heretofore, but I was never again to feel the weight of the everyday hardship of existence under the protection of my exalted friend. Wagner, settled in Munich under the affectionate patronage of the king, found himself in a position which seemed to him the attainment of all his desires. He was to be absolutely free to create as his own will dictated, and, having completed his works, was to superintend their production under ideal conditions. During the first summer spent with the king at Lake Starnberg, he wrote the Huldingushmarsch and an essay entitled State and Religion, and on his return to Munich in the autumn, he summoned Bulow, Cornelius, and others of his lieutenants to assist him in preparing the performances of Tristan. These were given in the following June and July, with Bulow conducting and Ludwig Schnorr as Tristan. Many of Wagner's friends drew together at Munich for these performances, and the event took on an aspect which forecasted the spirit of the Wagner festivals of a later day. Shortly after these first performances of Tristan, there arose in Munich a wave of popular suspicion against Wagner, which, 
fed by political and clerical intrigue, soon reached a point where the king was obliged to employ Wagner for his own safety's sake to leave Bavaria. Wagner again sought the refuge of his years of exile, and, thanks to the king's bountiful patronage, he was able to install himself comfortably in the house at Triebschen on the shores of Lake Lucerne, which was to be his home for the six years that were to elapse before he took up his final residence at Bayreuth. It was here that Wagner again found ample leisure to finish a work the conception of which dates from his early days at Dresden, when he had found the material for the libretto in Gervinus' History of German Literature, and at the composition of which he had been occupied since 1861. This was his comic opera, Die Meistersinger von Nuremberg, while the musical material of Die Meistersinger is such as to place it easily in a class with Tristan as a stage work, it offers certain unique features which place it in a class by itself. The work is usually designated as Wagner's only comic opera, but the designation comic here implies the absence of the tragic more than an all-pervading spirit of humour. The comic element in this opera is contrasted with a strong vein of romantic tenderness and the earnest beauty of its allegorical significance. In De Meistersinger, Wagner restores to the action some of the more popular features of the opera. The chorus and ensemble are again introduced with musical and pictorial effectiveness, but these externals of stage interest are made only incidental in a drama which is as admirably well-knit and as subtly conceived as are any of Wagner's later works, and it is with rare art that Wagner has combined these differing elements. The most convincing feature of the work as a drama lies in the marvellously conceived allegory and the satirical force with which it is drawn. So naturally do the story and scene lend themselves to this treatment that, with no disagreeable sense of self-obtrusion, Wagner here convincingly presents his plea for a true and natural art as opposed to that of a conventional pedantry. The shaft of good-humoured derision that he thrusts against the critics is the most effective retort to their jibes, while the words of art philosophy which he puts into the mouth of Hans Sachs are indeed the best index he has furnished us of his artistic creed. In the music, no less than in the libretto of Die Meistersinger, Wagner has successfully welded into a cohesive unit several diffusive elements. The glowing intensity of his Tristan style is beautifully blended with a rich and varied fund of musical characterization, which includes imitations of the archaic, literally reproduced, as in the chorales, or parodies, as in Kirchner's exposition of the Meistersinger's musical requirements. The harmonic treatment is less persistently chromatic than that of Tristan, owing to the bolder diatonic nature of much of its thematic material, a difference which, however, cannot be said to lessen in any degree the wonderful glow of colour which Wagner had first employed in Tristan und Isolde. Polyphonically considered, De Meistersinger stands as the first work in which Wagner brought to an ultimate point his system of theme and motive combinations. The two earlier operas of The Ring contain the experiments of this system, and in Tristan, the polyphony is one of more extraneous ornamentation 
and variation of figure than of the thematic combination by which Wagner is enabled so marvellously to suggest simultaneous dramatic and psychological aspects. Der Meistersinger had its first performance at Munich on June the 21st, 1868, and the excellence of this first performance was due to the zealous labours of those who at that time constituted Wagner's able body of helpers, Hans von Bülow, Hans Richter, and Karl Tausig. In the following year, at the instigation of the king, Rheingold and Valkura were produced at Munich, but failed to make an impression because of the inadequacy of their preparation. Wagner, in the meantime, was living in quiet retirement at Triebschen, working at the completion of the Nibelungenring. From this date commences Wagner's friendship with Friedrich Nietzsche, a friendship which unfortunately turned to indifference on the part of Wagner and to distrust and animosity on the part of Nietzsche. On August the 25th, 1870, Wagner married Cosima von Bülow, in which union he found the happiness which had been denied to him through the long years of his unhappy first marriage. A son, Siegfried, was born in the following year, an event which Wagner celebrated by the composition of the Siegfried Idyll. We now approach the apotheosis of Wagner's career, Bayreuth and the Festival Theatre, a fulfilment of a dream of many years. A dance through Wagner's correspondence and writings shows us that the idea of a theatre where his own works could be especially and ideally presented was long cherished by him. This idea seemed near its realisation when Wagner came under the protection of King Ludwig, but many more years passed before the composer attained this ambition. In 1871, he determined upon the establishment of such a theatre in Bayreuth. Several circumstances contributed to this choice of location. His love of the town and its situation, the generous offers of land made to him by the town officials, and the determining fact of its being within the Bavarian kingdom, where it could fittingly claim the patronage of Wagner's royal protector. Plans for the building were made by Wagner's old friend Semper, and then began the weary campaign for necessary funds. Public apathy and the animosity of the press, which, expressing itself anew at this last self-assertiveness of Wagner, delayed the good cause, but May... 22, 1872, Wagner's 59th birthday, saw the laying of the cornerstone. Four more years elapsed before sufficient funds could be found to complete the theatre. Wagner, in the meantime, had taken up his residence at Bayreuth, where he had built a house, Villa Wanfried. On August 13, 1876, the festival theatre was opened. The audience which attended this performance was indeed a flattering tribute to Wagner's genius, for, beside those good friends and artists who now gathered to be present at the triumph of their master, the German Emperor, the King of Bavaria, the Emperor of Brazil, and many other royal and noble personages were there as representatives of a world at last ready to pay homage to genius. The entire four operas of the Ring of the Nibelungen were performed in the following week, and the cycle was twice repeated in August of the same season. As has been noted, the several dramas of The Ring belong to widely separated periods of his creative activity, and, musically considered, 
have independent points of regard. The poems, however, conceived as they were, beginning with Gotterdämmerung, which originally bore the title of Siegfried's Death, and led up to by the three other poems of the cycle, are united in dramatic form and feeling. The adoption of the Nibelungen mythology as a basis for a dramatic work dated from about the time that Lohengrin was finished. Wagner, in searching material for a historical opera, Barbarossa, lost interest in carrying out his original scheme upon discovering the resemblance of this subject to the Nibelungen and Siegfried mythology. He says, In direct connection with this, I began to sketch a clear summary of the form which the old original Nibelungen myth had assumed in my mind in its immediate association with the mythological legend of the gods, a form which, though full of detail, was yet much condensed in its leading features. Thanks to this work, I was able to convert the chief part of the material itself into a musical drama. It was only by degrees, however, and after long hesitation, that I dared to enter more deeply into my plans for this work. For the thought of the practical realisation of such a work on our stage literally appalled me. While the Ring poems constitute a drama colossal and imposing in its significance, far outreaching in conception anything that had been before created as a musical stage work, it is in many of its phases an experimental work toward the development of the ideal music drama which Tristan and Isolde represents. Written at a time when Wagner was in the throes of a strong revolutionary upheaval and when his philosophy of art and life was seeking literary expression, we find the real dramatic essence of these poems somewhat obscured by the mass of metaphysical speculation which accompanies their development. In Siegfried alone has Wagner more closely approached his new ideal and created a work which, despite the interruption in its composition, is dramatically and musically the most coherent and most spontaneously poetic of the ring dramas. It has been already noted that the break between the musical style of Lohengrin and that of Rheingold is even greater than that between the dramatic forms of the two works. In the six years which separated the composition of these two operas, Wagner's exuberant spontaneity of expression became tempered with reflective inventiveness and there pervades the entire score of Rheingold, a classic solidity of feeling, which by the side of the lyrical suavity of Lohengrin, is one of almost austere ruggedness. We find from the start Wagner's new sense of dramatic form well established, and the metrical regularity of Tannhäuser and Lohengrin is now replaced with the free dramatic recitative and leitmotif development. Of harmonic colour and polyphonic richness, Rheingold has less interest than have the other parts of the cycle, and one cannot but feel that after the six years of non-productiveness, Wagner's inventive powers had become somewhat enfeebled. With the opening scenes of Valkyra, however, we find again a decided advance, a melodic line more graceful in its curve, and the harmonic colour enriched with chromatic subtleties again lends sensuous warmth to the style to which is added the classic solidity which Rheingold inaugurates. In polyphonic development, Valkura marks the point where Wagner commences to employ that marvellously skilful and beautiful system of combining motifs, 
which reached its full development in the richly woven fabric of Tristan, de Meistersinger and Parsifal. Wagner has told us that his studies in musical law were made, so to speak, backward, beginning with his contemporaries and working back through the classics. The influences, as they show themselves in his works, would seem to bear out this statement, for, after the rugged strength of Beethoven's style, which Rheingold suggests, the advancing polyphonic interest, which next appears in Valkyra, reaches back to an older source for its inspiration, the polyphony of Johann Sebastian Bach. While, as has been remarked, Siegfried in its entirety forms a coherent whole, the treatment of the last act clearly displays the added mastery which Wagner had gained in the writing of Tristan and of De Meistersinger. There is a larger sweep of melody and a harmonic freedom which belongs distinctly to Wagner's ultimate style. In Goethe-Dämmerung we find the first manifestation of this latest phase of Wagner's art, a harmonic scheme that is at once bolder in its use of daring dissonances and subtler in its mysterious chromatic transitions gives added colour to a fabric woven almost entirely of leitmotifs in astounding variety of sequence and combination. The inauguration of the Bayreuth Festival Theatre and the first performances there of the Nibelungen Ring certainly marked the moment of Wagner's greatest external triumph but it was a victory which by no means brought him peace. A heavy debt was incurred by this first season's Bayreuth festival, and it was six years later before the funds necessary to meet this deficit and to provide for a second season could be obtained. The second Bayreuth season was devoted entirely to the initial performances of Parsifal, with the composition of which Wagner had been occupied since 1877. The intervening six years had brought many adherents to the Wagner cause, and financial aid to the support of the festival was more generously extended. After a series of 16 performances, it was found that the season had proved a monetary success, and its repetition was planned for the following year, 1883. The history of the festival theatre since that date is so well known that its recitation here is unnecessary. Bayreuth and the Wagner Festival stand today a unique fact in the history of art. As a shrine visited not only by the confessed admirers and followers of Wagner, but by a large public as well, it represents the embodiment of Wagner's life and art, constituting a sacred temple of an art which, by virtue of its power, has forced the attention of the entire world. Bayreuth, moreover, preserving the traditions of the master himself, has served as an authentic training school to those hosts of artists whose duty it has become to carry these traditions to the various opera stages of the world. Wagner was fated not to see the repetition of the Parsifal performances. In September 1882, being in delicate health and feeling much the need of repose, he again journeyed to Italy. Settling in Venice, where he hired a part of the Palazzo Vendramin, he passed there the last seven months of his life in the seclusion of his family circle. On February 1, 1883, Wagner was seized with an attack of heart failure and died after a few moments' illness. Three days later, the body was borne back to Bayreuth, where, after funeral ceremonies, 
in which a mourning world paid a belated tribute to his genius, Richard Wagner was laid to his final rest in the garden of Villa Wanfried. End of section 29